I went to a high school. I had a guys' session at a high school. I had 800 teenage boys come into the church. My heart started going right, and I'm like, "What am I going to say to these boys?" <laughs> so they're all sitting there, and I say, "Okay, I can't talk to them like a girl because if I talk to them like a girl, they're going to get—they're not going to listen, right?" Right. Oh, can I get these boys? What can I get their attention with? So I prayed really hard right before I started. I remembered in my book, in my purse—I don't know why I had this in my purse, but I did. I had a little book by Saint Alphonsus. It said, "What will hell be like?" So I said, I pulled it out. I said to the boys, "I got this book. Um, it says, 'What will hell be like?' Would you guys like to know?" They're like, "Yeah, lady, tell us.'" So I open up this book and I start reading to them about what hell is like, and they're really like, "Oh my gosh!" In the book, I can't remember the whole book right now because I didn't bring it for you guys tonight. In the book, it says once the person lands in hell, all they can think about is God and the great good that they lost. Do you, ever, do you remember when your kids saying, "Oh, we'll all go to hell"? I mean, I remember being a kid and have, hearing somebody say, "Oh, in hell we'll just party. We'll all go to hell. We'll just party in hell." I'm like, there's no party. <laughs> Nobody talks. Nobody talks. You're all by yourself, and you see how God tried to reach you your whole life, and how you told Him no. No, God doesn't send anybody to hell. People say no to Him their whole life. He reaches out and he loves them and he loves them and he tries and they say no to him. And and in particularly, what I found is interesting. If you have heard of Sister Faustina in the Divine Mercy Chaplet, how many people have heard of that? In that book, Jesus comes himself and reveals his sacred heart and he says he has ocean of mercy. And he said, particularly in these times. That so many people wait till their deathbed to choose God, and on their deathbed, he wanted people to pray the mercy chaplet, because so many people despair. I was with someone recently who was dying. Their kids were in our youth group. Their mother, their the wife was in our youth group, and and the dad just refused. To go to church, refuse God. Just he just refused, and I became friends with him over the years, and I got him to come up and bake for the bake sale for the youth group. <laughs> he he was a great guy, but for whatever reason, he just was not going to go into that church. He got cancer last year. He was so sick, and he was up baking at the bake sale two weeks before he died. I walked in and I said. Hi, Jack, and he says, "Hi." I said, "Did you go to church?" He goes, "No." He's like looking so proud. I go, "Jack, you're impossible. It's getting close, you know." He goes, <laughs> and I prayed so hard for him. And I asked God. I said, "If there's something I can do to help him." And so, a couple weeks later, I got the word that he wasn't doing good, and I talked 
to, to Father. And I said, Father, you know, ask him. Maybe he'll let the priest come for his wife because he loved his wife. And so that afternoon, I stopped by, and Father was already there. Father comes walking out. Now listen, this is how stubborn this guy is. The bishop of our diocese went to visit him, and he said no. <laughs> no, you guys, that's stubborn, okay? And so he goes, I come in the door, and there's Father, and he's smiling. He goes, I just heard his confession. I absolved him. You take him Holy Communion. I've got another call. I said, you're kidding. I go, how did you do it? He goes, I tried the wife approach. It worked. <laughs> he loved his wife. My dad is a doctor. He had a guy in his deathbed, same thing. Refused, refused, refused. Finally, my dad went in. He was so close to dying. My dad's a doctor. He says, no, you know, I really think it's time I better send for the priest. He goes, well, you know, Doc, I've never been a man of faith, but I can tell you this much. If Jesus is anything like you, go ahead, send the priest. And on his deathbed, was baptized and received the sacraments. Wow. Faith and conversion. That we know, even in the darkest hour, that Christ loves us more than we could love ourselves. And not only that, but Christ loves our loved ones more than we can love ourselves. I'm going to tell you one more story, and then we're going to go into the parts of the Mass and how it works. And, you, and I'll have you stand up for a minute, and you can't yawn. Okay? <laughs> All right. This is a true story that I read. Um, there was a man who had refused to accept Christ and the church to his deathbed. And so... This woman was in the church one day, and she was crying because she didn't know if her husband had made it or not. She had prayed her whole life for him. Shows you the importance of prayer. Well, this priest comes into the church, and he sees the woman crying, and he says, Woman, why are you crying? And he says, Well, she says, My husband died, and I don't know if he's with God. And the priest said, Your husband is with God. And she said, how do you know this? And he said, one night he walked by the statue of the Blessed Mother in your house and he told Mary that if you were right, that God should listen to you instead of him. And that one prayer saved him. Do you get that? Kids, do you get that? That saint was St. John Vianney, and he had the gift of reading souls. So how does this all work? It's important for us to understand. Pope John Paul II said that in the Holy Eucharist, the bread and the wine become the body and blood of Christ, and that is your Holy Spirit. That's your jet fuel into heaven. In John chapter 6, it says, unless you eat, my flesh and drink my blood, you will not have eternal life. Where does this come from? If you think about it, in the Old Testament, they had the Passover meal. Have any of you ever had a Seder meal in your religion classes? Okay. The Old Testament was the Passover meal 
they would take a lamb and they would put the sins of the people upon an innocent lamb who was unblemished, nothing wrong with it. The people couldn't literally write their sins on the lamb, but they would take their sins and they would put it on the lamb because in those days they didn't have a Jesus to forgive them. And they would feel guilty and broken and they wanted to do this. And so they put it on the lamb and the lamb was sacrificed. And the blood of the lamb was put over their doorstep and that was like the sign of the cross on their doorstep. In Revelations it says they defeated the devil by the blood of the lamb. And so when Jesus came, remember when Jesus came, one day St. John, John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist says, John the Baptist is out and he's preparing the way because he knows that Jesus is coming and this is going to be salvation for the whole world. And John the Baptist says what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he pointed to Jesus. And there's Jesus and he will become the Lamb. And so it's important for us to understand this because we have to apply this to Mass. So what happens at the Mass is that at the Mass, we all gather in the, in the church, we make the sign of the cross, and the first thing we do is we tell God we're sorry for any of our sins that week or that month. But we all say we're sorry, and we put those sins up on the altar. Because who's coming? The bread of life is coming. And after we tell God we're sorry, then we sing glory to God in the highest. And what? Peace to his people on earth. Why? Because when our sins are forgiven, love comes and love goes into the broken hearts and love heals the hearts of the world. It's all about love. 